Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Mother on Movies. My name is Carl. And I'm Holly. Like Welcome back to a wonderful edition of Mother on Movies. Before we get into our uh, new movie, we hope you've enjoyed the content so far. We have a few things to quick promote, not even promote, but yes, we can promote. Don't forget about Colts Coffee and Conversation. That's a very more of a uh, more of a serious topic of extreme beliefs, I guess we could call it yes. in that direction. Hit them up at Colts Coffee Conversation. Alrighty, now let's talk about Mother on Movies. Hit us up at Twitter at Mother underscore Movies. Of course, we have our email address at Mother on Movies at Yahoo.com. And we also have uh, YouTube, which is Mother on Movies. Yes, it is. Alrighty, are you ready to get in? Oh, this is the Twitter machine. We already did the Twitter machine. At Mother yeah, underscore at Movies? Mother, uh, I said Twitter at I'm un- so under- sorry. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. We are a little rusty, guys. Give us just give us a little bit of a break here. Uh, anyway, we discussed our last previous movie was what? Do you remember what our previous movie yeah, was? Yeah, it was the Christmas story. The Christmas story. Ah, yes. With Ralphie. Ralphie. Yes. Mm, and the father, my favorite. The old man. The old man. <laughs> That's a really good one to listen to. Yeah, check it out if you haven't that is. heard it yet. And if this is your first time listening to us, I want to say welcome. This is the podcast where my mother watches movies that she may enjoy, she may not enjoy, but still watches anyway, cusses under her breath, rolls her eyes, but in deep down inside, she did enjoy herself, right? Yes. All righty. Now, we're going to talk about the new movie today. Are you ready to talk about the new movie? I am. Okay. It's a classic. <laughs> it is. I think it's one of... Steve McQueen's first movies. I'm not sure. He's very young in this movie. Well, he was 28. He portray- oh, okay. He was portrayed as a teenager in yeah, this movie. Yeah, isn't that funny, though? It is funny. And what movie is it? Drumroll, please. It is... The Blob. The Blob. Now, let's talk about The Blob for just a second. Me, watching this movie, kind of... I had to roll my eyes a few a lot of times in this movie because I've never seen it. So this is the oh first, really? That was the I first thought time you I've seen saw it. it. No, no, it was. I watched a more updated version of the Blob, which is pretty much just a updated version of okay. what I watched. So either or, a uh, very interesting movie. Uh, yeah, Steve McQueen plays Steve. He does. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Steve is playing Steve. So uh, anyway. All right, Holly, ready to break this movie down? A little bit. Uh, now that we're on Steve McQueen, I have a few notes. Go for it. On him. Sure. He was known for The Great Escape yes, in 1963. Movie. Great movie. I remember movie. seeing that. Great movie. The Magnificent Seven. Another great movie. In 1960. And The Thomas Crown Affair in 1968. Ooh, have I seen that one? I don't know. I think there's a new one Pierce Brosnan did, but I could be wrong. Go ahead. The Towering Inferno in 1974. Another good one. And his last movie, Papillon, in 1980. He died that year in 1980. Didn't he do the uh, streetcar named Desire? I don't know. I don't think so. That's way old. That's way old. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is predating the blob probably. Anyway, so, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, he was a he was the ultra cool male film star of the 1960s, and rose from a troubled youth spent in reform schools to being the one of the world's most popular actors. Mm. Over 40 years after his untimely death from mesothelioma, mesothelioma. Yes, in 1980, Steve McQueen is still considered hip and cool, and he endures as an icon of popular culture. Yes. 
Agreed. Now his his uh, co-star Anta Corsant, known for The Blob in 1958, <laughs> and many TV series like The Andy Griffith Show. She was on and off there as Helen Crump. She actually married Andy Taylor. Okay. So she was there uh, off and on from 1963 to 1968. Mm. She played on Death Valley Days from 1960 to 1965. An Emergency, that TV show, in 1974 and 75. She had Days of Our Lives in 1984 and Matlock in 1987 to 1992. Mm. Miss Croissant battled cancer in her later years and sadly died of the disease on November 6, 1995 at the age of 62. Mm. Okay, so she will be remembered as Helen Crump, who married Andy Taylor. Mm. So the music is very interesting in this this movie. I'll say. Okay. And Ralph Carmichael was the one that was credited for this music, okay? Okay. He was raised in a Pentecostal church in Illinois. (laughs) And his father, the pastor, uh, he wanted to innovate the church orchestra. It was not allowed. He played violin for the San Jose Civic Symphony. At the age of 17, and he went to Southern California College, now known as Vanguard University, Mm. to be a pastor like his father and grandfather. And he started choral groups and ensembles, mixed groups of all kinds of music, blending jazz and classical music techniques with gospel music and hymns. His style was controversial at the college, and his groups were not welcome in many churches. His, yeah, his saxophone and baritone instruments were not allowed to be stored at the college because their association to worldliness. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He wrote 20 film scores for the Billy Graham Association. Oh, it's good enough for Billy Graham, but not good enough for the local churches? Yeah, oh or boy. the college. Oh, jeez, take and, that one. And was asked to arrange music for I Love Lucy and Bonanza. No wonder they changed their school name. He got his big break arranging songs for Nat King Cole. Oh. And Carmichael wrote arrangements for many other top performers, including Ella Fitzgerald, Bing Crosby, Jack Jones, Peggy Lee, Julie London, Al Martino, and Roger Williams. He arranged most of the carols on the 1961 Stan Kenton album, A Merry Christmas. It's in the field of Christian music, though, that Carmichael has been most prolific. Really? Yes. Wait a minute. Hold, he better wrote some pretty good stuff that I've heard. Because Maybe. Let me think here. In particular, his experiments in pop rock style in the 1960s and 70s have brought him recognition as the father of contemporary Christian music. Go on. He founded Light Records in order to widen the audience for the music of the Jesus people. He was subject to controversy from within the church, being called a heretic for his use of guitars in worship and his adaptations of gospel songs to big band styling. Of course they did. I think he did like these different musicals and stuff, I remember, in the in the early 70s. Right. Let's get to this storyline of this beautiful movie. I'm sorry. We're talking about, oh, I got caught up in the musical <laughs> part. There were... This is Nicole's Coffee and Conversation. No. Talking about high I know. Called huh? The Heretic. Ooh. Now, this is The Blob. The Blob. That's mm-hmm. right. The Blob. Now, the reason this is, uh, let's talk a little bit about the background of The Blob. The first time I saw The Blob, I was, well, this was in what, 19, what, 58 it came out? 
Yeah. Oh, my. So that meant I was four years old. (laughs) 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 And for some reason, uh, we went with cousins to the movie theater and got dropped off, the older cousins. Mm. And there was this movie plus The Bride of Dracula. Oh, jeez. I don't know what my mother was thinking. She must have been freaked out because she just wanted the kids out of her hair. It scared me so much that every time I saw, like, a pile of clothes in the dark in my room, I thought it was a blob. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, That's fine. That's fine. So, evidently, it did scare my sister, too, but she never let on. Right. So, she was open about it, what, just a... A few months ago, a few weeks maybe ago. Maybe a few weeks ago, yeah. Because yeah. what was the question was posted about the fir- movie that scared you the most? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, she put the blob, and then you <laughs> called me about it after we got done <laughs> watching it, and I was like, at least, I mean, I believe the Gremlins maybe, but. Well, look, she was nine. I guess. When she saw it, so. Uh, okay. 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 Anyway. The storyline is a mysterious creature from another planet resembling a giant blob of jelly lands on Earth. The people of a nearby small town refuse to listen to some teenagers who have witnessed the blob's destructive power. And in the meantime, the blob just keeps on getting bigger. It keeps growing. Yes. <laughs> so stupid. Now, there's an, op- <laughs> there's an opening song. It goes, beware of the blob. It creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch. Be careful of the blob. It was classic. Yeah. That's terrible. It it was kind of <laughs> like, it sounded like a little lighthearted. Yeah, like a Disney like yeah, Disney song. It yeah. did. But I didn't hear that part when I was little. I was scared. Okay, so we're going to go through this. And, and I think some of the reason why I kind of detailed it is because it kind of picks a picture of society at that time. Okay. Okay, let's okay. just go with that. We'll roll with it. All right. Okay. So there's a young couple kissing with soft string music playing, and the young man wants to kiss again, but she refuses the kiss. Now, this is Steve McQueen, right? Steve. (laughs) And he says, there's a shooting star. And she said, I thought you were supposed to wish on shooting stars. And he claims he did make a wish and that there are a lot of shooting stars up where they are at night. That's why he comes here at night. And she looks at him. Yeah, I didn't even buy that. Questioning <laughs> like he had just put his foot in his mouth. Uh, he he probably takes other girls to the spot. He, he does. He tries to talk his way out of it. Yes, he tries he very says, hard. He says, it's not like you think, Janie girl. And yeah, she oh immediately God. corrects him and says, my name is Jane. Just Jane, right? Yeah, Jane. Oh, gosh. that was Okay. At this point of the movie, I'm already checked out. What do you mean? It was just like, oh, my God. This is so corny. It reminds me of the thriller video. Oh, yeah, it does. Maybe I can't they believe it. I just ran out of gas. Okay. Maybe it was kind of part then of that. Janie girl, I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm just <laughs> done. This is done. I'm done. And then, of course, when she's like, no, my name is Jim. I'm like, yeah. Well, at least that it's already cheese ball enough just with just that little, you know, it's just like, oh, very. Well, this is how some of these movies, and I think this was targeted to teenagers anyway. I, I would hope so. I would hope. Anyway. She told him for a while she thought the shooting star was business was not just one of his lines. Right. He starts to defend himself and says he's never brought anyone else up there before. I didn't even believe him when he and said she's, that. And she says she might be crazy, but she believes him. 
Oh, that's when I was really checked out of this movie. Go ahead. Just then, a high-pitched sound like a whistle and a round red object falls from the sky and crashes nearby. And Steve says, that was close. Let's go and see if we can find it. Right? Good, yes. That's a change the subject, get off of all that, right? Yes. He takes off in his turquoise blue convertible. Yes. The next scene is a dog barking in the background in a cabin out in the woods. Of course it's out in the woods. Then they, didn't, they didn't mention what, was this Texas? They didn't say where it they was. They never say where it was. They didn't, Could okay, be anywhere in the Midwest. Somewhere in America. Mm-hmm. Well, remember this was the 50s, right? Yeah. Okay, so it could have been outside of Los Angeles, oh, which of is course. now known as Pasadena. I'm just yeah, gonna, I mean, it could have yeah. been anywhere, yeah. yeah. Uh, the old man comes out of the cabin hearing strange squishing noise and the dog barking. Grabs a kerosene lantern, puts the dog back into the cabin, and he's walking slowly and carefully through the woods. When he comes up on what looks like a crater-like round object that made a hole in the ground on impact of landing. Right. Curious of what it was, he grabs a stick and gently prods the crater object. It cracks open like an egg. <sighs> so Okay, bad. it's horrible. <laughs> Inside so is a shiny purple round ball of soft jelly-like substance. The old man pushes the softball fairly aggressively, brings it up to his face, and I'm like, at this point, no, right? To take a better look at it. Are you kidding me? The goo now looks like a big booger and is sliding down the stick towards the old man's hand. Instead of dropping the stick, he turns the stick upside down, thinking the goo would reverse action. The goo jumped onto his hand. He drops the stick and tries to shake the goo off with no luck. He then tries to push the goo off his hand with his other hand screaming and running into the woods. Yes. So Steve and Jane drive up and stop. And Steve was sure the object fell right over the hill. And they just came over. And Jane says, it may be like lightning. You think it's struck next door, but it really miles away. And Steve thinks that it's close by. And Jane's willing to try another road. They decide to go back to town where Steve can formally apologize over a sandwich. They take off, and shortly thereafter, James screams for him to watch out. A sandwich. He, that's right. <laughs> the car suddenly uh, stops, and James says, it looks like an old man. They hear the old man crying in pain, begging for them to take him to my a doctor. Hand, he hand. tells them he can't get it off. And Steve offers to help, but the old man tells him, no, he won't be able to. Steve helps the old man in the car and gives him a brown blanket to help cover him up. And he reassures him he'll get him to the doctor as fast as he can and tells Jane he hopes the doctor's in. There's no emergency room, you know. First of all, why do you have that blanket in the first place? Well, I don't know, because he had a convertible. And maybe, you know, under the stars, you know, need a little blanket. I don't know. (laughs) The next scene is the doctor talking on the phone to Mrs. Porter, telling her he's leaving and won't be back till the next night. And he asks her to keep an eye on the house while he's gone. Steve and Jane are driving as fast as they can while the old man's writhing in pain. They pass up the truck of young men who identify him, insult his car, and say he can't do that to them. So this is like part of the teenage car culture of the 50s. Now, yes, very much. There's a movie, I can't, why it, might, it just went right out of my head. Okay, but it's a, uh, one of John, uh, John Lucas's first movies. Wait a minute, isn't it uh, Christine the Killer Car? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, go ahead, I'm sorry. Now you got me thinking. 
I got to correct myself. It, it's George Lucas. Oh, you're talking about American Graffiti. Yes. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I just kind of had a mind blur. Brain, brain freeze. That's yes. fine. Oh, okay. American Graffiti is similar to the, car cult, the teen car yeah, culture of that right. time. Meanwhile, the doctor's turning off his lights, leaving his office, and he gets to the porch. He puts a note by the door. Steve, Jane, and the old man pull up, and they get the old man out of the car, and the doctor opens up the office again. Right. The old man is led into an examination table while the doctor's asking questions about his condition, and Jane tells the doctor he has something on his hand. They picked him up out on the old north road, and he was screaming about the thing on his hand. The doctor finally agrees to take a look at what is on the old man's hand. Hmm. Steve says it's like a blister. And when the doctor unwraps the hand, they see that the blob has moved up his arm. Right. The doctor gets a syringe of painkiller, asks Steve if he knows who the man is. Steve doesn't know, and the shot starts to take effect. The doctor asks Steve to drive back to where he found the old man and see if they can find anyone who knows what happened. And on their way out, the doctor says to turn off the light because he doesn't want it to be disturbed. Right. So as they leave, he looks towards the examination room, thinking about what was the on the old man's arm, and he grabs a book from his bookcase. When Steve and Jane get out of the doctor's house, they see the young men who they passed on the way to the doctor's house. And Steve asks, what's up? And as they get into his car, they congratulate him. He doesn't know why, so they give him a crown, which is his own hubcap. They go on to explain Steve beat the champion while he was rushing to the doctor's house. They are goading him into a street race. First of all, okay. Steve McQueen's car is not a race car. Their car is a race car because it's a hot rod. It's a 1940 Ford. Uh, well, actually, I have that. Okay, all right. Yeah, exact car, what, what it was. Go ahead. But I don't have it yet, so go okay. ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Okay. No, I just... Uh, <laughs> It's just me being somewhat of a car. I'm not. I'm, I love cars a lot, and it's just like when you look at both of those cars, I'm just like, just the weight difference alone. Stop. <laughs> well, yeah, but we're talking about young men supposedly that are like 16, 17 years old. And the hubcap thing was funny. I'll give it that. But then I'm waiting for a fist fight. But it's I forget it's the 50s, so I just had to just drop it. But go ahead. So Steve tries to excuse himself, saying he's got to go. And yeah, exactly. And they want to teach him not to go so fast around town, and oh, he doesn't have time to prove anything. They said they know, but they can beat his kitty car going backwards. Exactly. Oh, this, this is like, oh, it's so chummy. <coughs> it's so corny. But yes, go ahead. So Steve looks in his rearview mirror and sees a red traffic light. He agrees. He <laughs> said, we'll do it just like you said. Go back. And they line up to race, and the other guy tells him when, and Steve says when, when he sees the traffic light behind him go green. They start racing backwards past a parked police car, facing the opposite direction. The officer hears the car race by, starts his car. The other car has a green light and goes through. Steve and Jane are on the other side of the intersection with the red light. This is where Steve was going to leave them behind. Just then, the police car drives up. We've got the teenagers, and now we're introducing the police. Right. And this is kind of like another little insight into the, police the, at the time. At the societies. Yeah, yes. in this small town. The police officer drives up to Steve's car, and he saunters out of the squad car and approaches the couple. He said, all right, what's this about? <laughs> And Steve replies with an attitude of everything's normal, and he was just waiting for the light to change. The officer mentions the light's way down the street, and Steve on, is on the wrong side of the road. 
The officer asked Steve if he would want his father or Jane's father to know he was booked for reckless driving. That's right, because the, the cop uh, knows the parents. Yes. And Steve replied, don't bring the fathers into it. Right. right yeah. Now, that's interesting because, like, now, who cares, right? I- interesting. Pretty much. Steve promised never to do it again, and the police <laughs> asked, do what again? Several times. And Steve said, whatever you think I was doing, Dave. He even knows him by his first name. Exactly. The conversation takes a quirky vein with the cop telling Steve to stop messing around. Steve's free to go where he meets up with the other young man. They were relieved it wasn't Sergeant Birdie, Mm -hmm. but Dave. And they retell the story of how they were moving a friend's car for a joke, and they ran into Sergeant Birdie, who ended up helping them and realized he was tricked into helping them steal the car. Mm -hmm. They agreed Dave's a good guy. (laughs) All of a sudden, Steve remembers what the doctor told him to go do earlier, to go up on the old North Road and check on some people. Hold on. This is a weird thing that I found strange. Now they're all buddies. I think they were buddies, weren't they? I mean, it was kind of weird because at first you didn't think they were. No, because they're just talking mess, and he uh, looks like they're trying to, you know, steal his girl and all that kind of stuff. This is like okay, weird. First of all, you ain't got room for four in your little buggy, but yeah. Then they all became friends like instant, like instant best friends. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Huh? Yeah, I was like, boy, I'm I'm confused. What just happened? Anyway, go ahead. Steve asked if the group wants to come with him to check it out. They declined. They say they want to go to the Flicks, which is... Oh, the drive-in. The, well, no. Oh, no, that's right. No, you're right. It's I'm the regular the theater, regular movie theater. theater. The Flicks. To see a midnight spook bit. Okay. And some of this language yeah. is terrible. Well, it's how they spoke back that's then. That's right. So like and it was for uh, scary movies. And to see some unprotected women in the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Steve uh, is able to persuade them to come with him first, and it shouldn't take more than a half hour. Famous last words, right? Oh, my gosh, right. Next scene is back at the doctor's office. Oh, boy. The doctor lifts the blanket off the old man to check on him and is startled to see the blob has now gotten bigger and has moved toward his torso. He quickly places the blanket back over him and goes to his office to make a phone call to a colleague. Unfortunately, the other doctor is not available. As he's making another call, it flashes back to the old man lying on the exam table and what looks like something moving under the blanket. The doctor's on the phone with Kate, who is his assistant. He asks her to come back to the office because a patient has a parasite on his arm moving at a rapid pace, and he may need to amputate the arm. Right, yeah, I remember that. Okay, so then we're back at the site where the blob hit the earth. So Steve, Jane, and the group of young men wonder if this is where the shooting star hit the ground, and Steve picks up part of the shell, which is very hot. They're wondering what it is. They start tossing it around to each guy, guessing... Yeah, like hot potato, yeah. Yeah, guessing it used to be a big moon. <laughs> they hear a dog howl in the background and figure there's a house close by, and they take off through the woods towards the sound of the dog. They find the house, they let the dog out, wondering if this is where the old man lives, and... They're noticing that there's no cars or lights in a cozy spot. And, and they go, yeah, no movies. Let's get out of here, right? So they abandon any more search or clues or information and convince Steve to come to the midnight spook bit at the me- movie theater. And Jane comes with Steve with the dog in her arms, and so they, they, they take off with the dog. Right. So meanwhile, back at the doctor's office, if you recall, he's preparing to amputate the arm. Right. 
Now, you would amputate an arm in the doctor's office? Hey, it's 1958. I mean, the... Hey, it's nineteen fifty-eight. This is like Battlefield or something, you know. Yes, it is. Ooh, <laughs> Battlefield Earth. Oh, that'd be a great movie to watch. Go ahead, sorry. I think we did watch it recently. It's awful. Yeah. Okay, so that was kind of unnerving. So Kate's nurse has come in to assist, and they do all the stuff that uh, you would do to get the patient prepared, right? And he said, "Whatever you do, don't." touch yeah, the parasite the thing yeah she leaves to attend the old man finds no one on the examination table right so she looks on the floor and there's a large blob about the size of a large balloon right and they're both frightened the doctor says it has to be killed he tells her to grab some yeah, yeah trichloracetic acid that's behind her right she grabs the acid bottle the doctor says to throw it but don't get it on her hands right she throws it, it turns a little yellow, and it's unfazed. Yep. He instructs her not to move. He goes to get the gun in the den, which, I, you know, what's the gun it's 1958, do? Holly. <laughs> All right. Different times. Kate is panicking, yelling for the doctor to come back. She moves suddenly, falls down, uh, breaks the lamp. Now there's no lights on, no sound from Kate, and the doctor's calling her name and looking around for the blob. He sees a large round shadow and an even larger blob rolling across the floor. Mm-hmm. And K- realizes Kate's been overcome by the blob. He starts shooting his rifle at the blob with no effect. He goes into a room, closes the door, and is making a phone call. Yeah. He's going underneath the door. So Steve and Jane <laughs> pull up to the doctor's house, and, they, you know, it doesn't look like anyone's there because he turned off the light. Right. And he's going to go check. He walks to the porch, rings the doorbell, tries to do everything he can do. He goes around to the back to check the garage, see if the doctor's car is there. Right. And he's walking by one of the windows, and he hears a noise. And it's the doctor trying to get out of the house through the window, but is being overtaken by the blob. Okay, now I'm four years old watching this. This so bad. So awful. This terrible. Totally freaked out, he returns to his car and asks Jane, and Jane asks him, what's the matter? He's reluctant to tell her, but says the blob is overtaking the doctor's head. Steve decides they're going to go to the police, okay? They'll know what to do. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's a police station, officers doing various administrative duties. Officer Dave opens a drawer, discovers a chess set with what looks like a game in progress. It's Officer Richie's. He says... It keeps him occupied when he's in there late all alone. And by himself, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they rush in, saying that Dr. Halland has been killed. They've asked what happened. Steve has trouble articulating exactly what happened and tells the police it's a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. They tell him to make sense. Steve says you have to see it to believe it. One officer mocks him and says maybe the thing you saw was a monster. Officer Dave is having a hard time believing him and reminds Steve he's just driving backwards and now it's about monsters. Jane vouches for Steve's story. Another officer thinks it's a gag and tells Dave he's crazy to go to the doctor's house to check. Dave says, nevertheless, Steve says the doctor's been killed, so they need to check it out. Oh, my gosh. How nonchalant is that, right? Extremely nonchalant. 
Okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. This movie's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's terrible. <laughs> so basically, they leave Officer Richie alone, and as soon as they're gone, he radios a different uh, police station. Yeah. yeah. And they're starting to they play chess. Right. Over the radio. Of course. Okay. The next scene is the police car pulls up to the doctor's house. Dark. He says it'll be out to the next day. And the police start going through the house, into the room, broken lamp, and looking with their flashlights, it appears to be okay. And he points to a door where he last saw the doctor, and they're trying to find a key. Anyway, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Right. So they're really not getting anything except it looks like a, a break-in. It looks like a break-in, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. They're doubting Steve's story, and they think that he did something. They see that the doctor's rifle has been discharged. Yes. And there's no, but there's no evidence of bullets or shot marks. That's correct, because, because the blob absorbed it. Exactly. So they lose their patience. They're accusing Steve and others of staging this to make the police look silly. Right. Which I think they make themselves look silly without help. Well, yeah, well, that and not to mention, these kids, wh- why they want to hang out with the cops all night? Just, I mean. To bug them. To bug them, yeah. It's stupid. Bored, I guess. I guess. They were just convinced that this was just a stunt. So in rushes Mrs. Porter, and she was the one that was supposed to watch the doctor's house. And she says he was in Johnsonville, medical invention. She warned the doctor one of these days something was going to happen. She blamed herself. She didn't keep an eye on the place. So they go on and on about all of this, about the doctor and, you know, the, the old man. But there's no old man. There's no doctor. There's no, no anybody. Okay. She said she did hear some some uh, gunshots, and she hears it all the time because the neighbor's TV's loud and all that. Then it kind of gets a little creepy because there's two mechanics in a garage, mm-hmm. but it ends up the blob comes in there. It gets bigger than ever, and it rolls to him. So it envelops his head, and we see the man's legs kicking under the car and hear him screaming. How can you hear him screaming when his head's supposed to be covered by the blob? Well, because he's ah. going. It's <laughs> still a terrible movie. Okay. <laughs> and it is that typical old films where that's when you know someone's dying. It's either a shaking hand, but you don't see it. It's a shaking hand or shaking legs or things of that nature. That's true. So the parents get involved. They, the police call the parents, uh, Jane and Steve's parents. Steve is trying to explain about this. They don't listen. And in walks Jane's father, who immediately starts yelling at her about being at the police station. And how will it be the talk of the town? And what will it do to him? And she tries to explain everything. They're just trying to warn people. Well, we find out that Jane's father is the principal of the high school. And Steve's dad comes in, more calm, and says, they'll straighten everything out. And Dave tells the father, the doctor's house, you know, the whole story again. Steve's father just says, uh, Dave, don't you think our kids were mixed up in it, do you? But but Steve's father's a lot nicer. Mm -hmm. Steve and Jane secretly say, okay, well, after we go home, we're going to meet back outside. Ooh. Yeah. Dangerous sneaking out. (laughs) Jane's sneaking down the stairs at her home, and her little brother Danny asks in a loud voice, He's cute. Hey, where are you going? Right? Yeah, he's cute. She shushes him and tells him she's got an important thing to do. It has to be a secret. He tells her he won't tell anybody but wants to go with her. He's probably, what, about six or seven? Yeah, about that. 
she says she has to go by herself, and Danny says he's not afraid and guard her and will guard her. She finally persuades him to go to bed, and she might bring a dog home for him. Steve's in bed. Parents check on him, which is so funny because Steve McQueen is not looking like a teenager. But the door <laughs> is closed, <laughs> and the parents discuss what, what's going on, and, oh, they're worried about him, and we'll figure it out. He's on the second floor. You know, they show him, you know, getting down like he's done that a few times. Jane ends up going to his house. They start talking about what they saw. She says, no, we, you really did see it. So they says, now what are we going to do? So we got to tell somebody. So they go to the garage to get Steve's car out. Now, this is what this car is, okay, because I had to look it up. It's a turquoise blue 1953 Plymouth Cranbrook convertible. Your grandfather's car. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. No, it was a cruiser. It's like... Ugh, anyway, go ahead, yeah. Lifting the garage door with as little noise as possible, then pushing it out. Luckily, it was parked so the front of the car was facing out, amazingly. They you used to back in your car. Did you? In the garage. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, no, we never did that. No, that's what you were supposed to do. Being Who said? That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to back your car into the garage. That's... You've never... Be a, a, no, it's... It's always backing into the garage. You've never heard that phrase? Mm, it's always know. backing in. You back it in because once the door's open, you can just go. The object is just as go. I could say something that I shouldn't say, so I won't. Say it. No. Say it, Holly. Say <laughs> it. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. They coasted out and they, you know, got it going. They figure out they're going to go tell those friends of theirs to help them. Finally, we get to the theater, the flicks, okay? Stupid. And the next scene is the front of the Colonial Movie Theater with the marquee Midnight Spook Show, Daughter of Horror, and also Bella Lugosi. I also noticed under the marquee there was a banner stating, Healthfully Air-Conditioned. Yes, that's new. But they could smoke in theaters in those Yes, times. they could. <laughs> Inside the theater, Steve's friends are with the girls, and they're watching the screen. A man... Walking through a graveyard says, yes, I am here. The demon who possesses your soul. Wait a minute. I'm coming for you. I have much to show you, right? Right. Scary, icky stuff. <laughs> well, it's just ugly. Anyway, <laughs> so Steve runs up to Tony, who's watching the movies, and says he wants to see him outside. It's a lot of back and forth. His friends are about leaving the movie. Old man shushes him. Right. Yeah, if you see the crowd, but old people watching those movies. Go ahead. They don't want to. Well, they just want to make out in the movies. With unprotected women. <laughs> right? Yes, go on. <laughs> they don't want to go because they, they don't want to get their money's worth. You know, their 80 cents. They, they, you know, they don't want to oh waste their God, 80 cents. 80 cents. He, he convinces them, and he says there's this rock thing, you know, and he goes through the story, and it's going to wipe out the town. They have to find the thing first and then show it to people. To make it them believe it. That's well, you can't they, miss it. Well, they couldn't find it yet. Remember, because they went to Dr. Helen's, and it wasn't there. Right. It's already on the garage. Yeah, and they don't know anything about that. They just said something about, they ran into Mr. Connors. Yes. Coming out of the bar in the building, he owns on 2nd Street. Just stopped, and there he was, nobody there. TV was playing away. Catch register was sitting there with all the money still in it. Nobody around. No bartender, nobody. And then Dave says, he'll look in on it on the way home. No sense of urgency. None. 
Bertie says, forget it. The place is locked up. Now you all tell Dave to go home and get some shut-eye. Don't worry about people that have probably gotten swallowed up, right? This is the blob. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> After verifying with Richie, <laughs> he wasn't able to contact the doctors. He, he's going to, oh, everything can wait till the morning. Yeah, of course. So the kids decide they're going to go out to the town and start knocking on doors. And warning people. Brilliant. <laughs> so they knock on this door with loud music coming through the door. Thinking, oh, okay, there's a party. We'll go warn these people. And a man opens the door. Obviously had too much to drink. They told him. They warned him. He mocks them. The party's goers laugh. Oh, Paul Revere and Mrs. Revere. You know, that kind of thing. Come to give us a, a warning. <laughs> the British are coming. Honestly, that was a great laugh. <laughs> <laughs> So they just felt stupid, and they left, okay? And then they were out in the woods trying to find the monster, and they came up on a couple making out, you know? Ooh. uh, So taboo then. Then they were going into bars saying, oh, you know, telling the bartender beware and all that, and they just laughed at him. And they finally drive up to a store, and they stop. Well, Steve's father owned the store. It's like a grocery market, right? By the way, I want to stop real quick. Yes. The only one who's seen the blob has been Steve. Just did you realize that? Oh, that's right. Jane never saw. No, nope. just I'd point that out. Go ahead. Oh, very good. <sighs> so he sees that the doors open to the grocery store. Right. And all the lights are out, and that's weird. And they said, "Wow, um, we better go check that out because the old man that usually works there sweeps up and then locks the door." Right. And it was way past the time. So he goes in there, and of course, he goes to turn on the lights, and there's a crashing sound. Jane is alarmed, but Steve says it's the broom and stuff. It was spread all over the aisle, right? We see the blob very large at this point. Yeah, right. how many people's he eaten? He's consumed pretty much a quarter of the town already. Okay. And rolling towards Jane. And she screams, drops the dog, falls back into a stack of cans, right? You swear this blob runs track. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it could. Actually, it was moving pretty fast. So he runs over to see what happened, jumps in an aisle, sees Jane's on the floor, fainted, scoops her up. Of course she faints. They run back to the store, to the back of the store, and he gets out of the emergency doors, but they will not open because they're chained. Emergency doors chained. It's 1958, Holly, okay? (laughs) Things were different, all right? Things were different. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the blob's coming after him. Of course. He gets a butcher knife. He's going to try to cut through the chain. No avail. They run into the meat locker okay. and close uh, the door, thinking they're safe. We're grabbing the butcher knife, thinking he's going to cut. Well, he's desperate. It's 1958, Carl. And Go he's ahead. he's only a teenager. He's only a teenager of 28 years old. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Jane's crying hysterically. Talking about their parents thinking they're asleep in their beds. So guess what the blob starts doing? What is the blob doing now? No, I'm laughing at you. Well, because she's crying. I she's know. Like, no, that's I fine. betrayed my parents. Oh, gosh. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry, okay, ahead. so the blob starts coming through under the meat locker door. Really? Because maybe it's made of liquid? <laughs> Go ahead. It goes under okay. the door. Okay. And so they're all like, they hear the dog bark, Jane's alarmed. He's, you know, worried about the dog. Right. 
And then they finally notice that it retreats back. It starts retreating back when it comes through. Right. For some reason, it didn't dawn on them why yet. It's a meat locker, and it's cold. It's cold. Anyway, all this is going on, and, and finally the blob retreats, but they have to go back out to see if it's gone. And she's worried about the dog, of course. Notice the blob never goes for the dog. Yes. So they get go through the whole store. They come out, and the rest of the group of the young men are there. And he tells them the monster's in the store and all this. And, and so they rush to the telephone booth to call the police. Right. He hesitates because he remembered he's supposed to be home asleep. Right. So he tells somebody to call. They call. Bertie answers the phone. And he says, is every kid in town in on this? I don't know who this is, but let me tell you, you guys wish you never had thought of this. Right. They still aren't believed. And so they're going to wake up the town any way they can think of. Right. Just show how the cops are just complaining, lazy, uh, non-urgent, kind of benign cops. Right. Pretty much. Pretty much. All of a sudden, they hear car horns honking outside the station. Oh, yeah. And Bertie goes to the window, sees what's going on. He looks disgusted, goes, walks over. And the phone's ringing, and you can hear air raid sirens in the background. And the phones are starting to ring. The, the air raid sign. Uh, that the, was pretty good. That was. I was like, oh, that's when everyone thought that they were going to get bombed on. Yeah. In World War II. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember. So I remember, but I remember. Well, that in um, nuclear war. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, no. This is supposed to be 58? Yeah, it's kind of before that. Yeah. Yeah, once it gets around the 60s, early 60s, yeah, 61, then you're like, okay. But no, that's for, that's World War II. And, you know, finally, uh, the whole town's finally waking up, and they're thinking an older couple was like going, oh, no. You know, he gets out to dig out his civil defense helmet and <laughs> and starts getting dressed, and he hears a fire truck siren outside. He doesn't know which helmet to wear. You know, he's like, ah. Oh, this is it. Wear, yeah. So everyone's getting up. The Martins are Jane's parents. They want to know. They try to figure out where Danny is gone, right? Yeah, she's running around looking for Danny. Danny and Jane. And they can't find him. They find Danny on the couch in the living room asleep. So they're relieved. And ask what he's doing. Oh, you know, she went out. She had something to do and all that. So he's, Mr. Martin says, he's going to go get to the bottom of this. Right? Yeah, he's going to solve everything right tonight. Give me my hat. <laughs> <laughs> he finally gets, Steve finally managed to get everybody out to this grocery store parking lot. Right. Firemen, yeah. police, the town. Everybody. Everybody, the... right? And he tells them what's going on. Uh, and r- real quick. Yeah. Why does everyone just say, you know, we need to go all to the grocery store? Oh, well, okay. I just like you mean to you mean no. to go in there and look or well, what? Well, no, they, everything's going off, right? So everyone says, oh, it's an emergency. Let's all go to the store. The grocery. Why store. did they go there? Yeah, that's exactly. what your question yes, is. Yes, that's what I'm questioning. I'm wondering if that was where the the one of the places that you had to gather, like in civil defense, that oh, might have been a spot. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I was just going like, oh, yeah, now everyone just knew. The fire department, well, the police. Well, see, this, this is another cl- uh, cultural thing that we don't have now. Right. Because maybe in case of an emergency, this and that, we all meet at the grocery yeah. store. Yeah, because that's when they had town meetings. Uh, yeah, yeah, stuff like that, right? Town hall. Yep. Every week. And you couldn't depend on the police, that's for sure. Right, because they're too lazy. Oh, 
They'll get you it on the way home. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry about it. We just uh, locked it up. We'll look at fine. it later. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> nice and hash, eh? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So then that's one of the cops, you know, he's going to. Care they're for gonna a smoke? Yeah. So they <laughs> go into the store to look for the thing. Of course, it's moved on. Right. right of course. Anyway, he says, just go home. We're going to update you, but just be aware this is going on. Right. So the fire chief agrees to help clear the crowd and, and has a couple of guns to help fight the thing. And he asks what cu- the kids are saying is true, and Dave doesn't know. You know, it's a market. There'll be no in a couple of minutes. Right. Of course, the next scene is the movie theater. Yes, the infamous movie theater. The man... It's a voice on the movie saying, now all the images of horror, the demons in your mind, crowd onto you and destroy you. And they show a woman on the screen, terrified with multiple hands, trying to grab her. Right. Up in the projection room, a man is reading a book while the movie's playing. In the background, there's a heater vent in the lower part of the wall behind him. Yeah, that was, that was cool. The camera gets a close-up of the heater vent and a jealous... What is it? A gelatin-like substance. Yes. Yeah. It's pushing through its way through the slits of the vents. Visually very cool. The man's oblivious as he's walking toward the movie projector and still reading his book. And by this time, the vents has been dislocated from the wall, and the blob is squeezing through it rapidly. On the screen, the faces are laughing one by one in a creepy way, and the audience is watching anxiously. And the blob is now gaining mass and looks like it's changes form to overwhelm the projectionist before he can even scream right since the blob ate the projectionist before he could change the reel all of a sudden the film on the screen turns dark and then light indicating it's come to the end of the reel the blob now is squeezing through the projection windows into the audience okay (sighs) now that has scarred me for life oh jeez every time we go oh Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Once again, I was already tuned out of this movie. I'm like, this can't get anywhere. Oh, it just got worse. Go ahead. Meantime, fire department, they're all still at the market trying to see if they can find it. And guess what? Of course, there's nothing in here but us monsters. So they make a joke of it. And the next thing they know, the screaming can be heard coming down the street. Yes. From the movie theater. Yeah. It's from the theater, Steve says. And the crowd's running out of the theater hysterically. With some falling in the process, having to fight the stream of people, Dave is running into the theater with a rifle again. He comes out to let Bertie not to let anybody go in there. It's the most horrible thing he's ever seen in his life. Right. So they retreat from the theater. The blob squeezes through the theater doors. Okay. Not really squeezing, but now massively huge and pulsing. I'm thinking. It's pulsing because it's able to swallow a large number of people in the theater. Oh yeah, he's digesting. It's gross. Oh, well. Okay, now out comes <laughs> Danny, who's little Jane's little brother, from the bushes with his pistol that he took from his western holster. Yeah, a little snap, the little cap gun. Yeah, starts shooting at the blob to no avail. Danny runs into the diner, and his sister calls after him, and the diner workers ask what's going on out there. So look out the window. Well, go ahead. Steve comes into the diner and says, too late, they can't escape the blob by going out the back door. So now the blob is taking over the entire diner, right? Yeah, it's covering it. Yeah. Yes, it looks like a big purple Twinkie. Exactly. 
And it's trying to squeeze through the windows in the door. Yes. Oh, they, they make a phone call yes. to the police. They leave the handle off the off the telephone. Okay. Yes. So they all go down to the basement. Yes. They're gonna they say, Well, okay, go down to the basement because we're gonna drop an electrical charge on this thing. So there's like power Yeah, poles. they're just basically cutting the lines and just have them drop on the thing. Yeah, so that's what they did, right? And they get into safety. Did it work? No. Not at all. The fireman says the diner's on fire and there's not enough oxygen to keep it going for 10 minutes. In the cellar, the blob is starting to come under the door at the top of the stairs. The windows are covered with the blob and there's no escape. I love how the firemen know exactly how much time they have before yeah, the oxygen runs. <laughs> Steve picks up Danny, who's says he's not afraid, and Jane reassures him everything's going to be all right. Lay his head down, try to go to sleep. Steve and Jane look at each other, teary-eyed, knowing the end is near. The people outside in the parking lot are helpless and defeated. Right. Okay, so in the cellar, the fire's coming through the floor from the restaurant. The cook picks up a fire extinguisher to put the flames out. Steve takes the fire extinguisher from him and starts spraying the blob. He puts it together that the reason it didn't come after them in the meat locker was because of the cold. cold. He's running out of CO2 in the extinguisher, but yells to the phone to Dave to get CO2 to use. Yeah, it's down. Yeah, this, the phone's off the hook, and they're downstairs. So, yeah, of course, they can probably clearly hear it in real life, but it's okay. It's a movie. So Dave has to convince the fire chief to get CO2 extinguishers to start attacking the blob around the perimeter of the diner. I know where I can find a whole bunch of those. And where was it? At the school. He can get 20 of them from the school, right? Yeah. So Mr. Martin finally comes through. Yay, Mr. Martin. I'll get to the bottom of this. And, of course, the young <laughs> men standing, they volunteer to go and yeah. help Oh, him. we'll go get it. We'll just open our cars. They and did. Take shotgun. They did. Yes. So there's Steve's trying to hold the blob off in the cellar with one extinguisher that's running out. Oh, what happens when they get to the high school? The doors are locked. Yeah. And evidently, he didn't bring his keys. So they break in. Okay. They get it all the extinguishers. And they start spraying when they get back. Right. They get back very swiftly. Yeah. And then Richie, the one of the cops, gets through to Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and will be getting someone to call them back. Yeah. So luckily, ifs. they didn't say in the morning. Yeah, like right. Like they do. Hi, Steve. Yeah, exactly. The young men come back with the extinguishers, and they're starting to use them on the blob. Okay, so it's retreating from the diner, the blob is. And as they keep doing it, someone's on the phone from Washington, D.C. He goes back and forth with the person and requests a transport plane to take it to the Arctic where it will never thaw out. Now, uh, that's quite short. Getting Washington, D.C., whatever that means, right? Yes. And a transport plane. Of course. Yeah, they already know how to solve solve the myths. We've solved the problem. Just take it to the... Uh, the and then they can actually, you know, go like that, and there's the transport plane. Yes. Goes <laughs> along with the, the stupidity <laughs> of this movie. Just so sh they f Jane's able to get out of the diner through the cellar window and her brother Danny out, too. They run to the parents. Everyone's relieved. Steve crawls out. Nice work. Are you okay? He thanks Dave for getting him out. He asks what's going to happen to the blob. And Dave says the Air Force is sending a globe master 
and flying it to the Arctic. He said it's not it's the dead. It's the worst, worst ending ever. He said it's not dead, just frozen. He doubts it ever can be killed, but at least they got it stopped. Steve says, yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold. Bum, 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 bum. And the next scene, the final one, is three-sailed parachute dropping something on the ice in the Arctic. The end. That is correct. Question mark? Yep. Oh, what a terrible movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. This movie was bad in every way. It just... First of all, I knew it was going to be bad when Steve McQueen's name Steve. I'm like, oh, that's lazy writing. And just went on from there. But, yeah, no one ever saw the blob but him, right? Until the very, very Until the end. very, very end. Well, the only thing, I mean, it was, like, kind of boring. Yes, very boring. The movie is very boring. Except for the few times that you see the blob in action. Yeah, and the thing is is that. But when the blob's in action, I'm terrified. Of course, you know, my whole thing is, of course, the nurse trips. And next thing you know, oh, gotcha. You know, it's I like know, it's horrible. <laughs> no, my whole thing was I was distressed as a child for this older man that's hurting. And then he gets eaten. And then the nurse and the doctor. And I'm like, ah, right? And, of course, they make you scared about the little boy getting it, you know. Yeah they, yeah, they bring Danny involved. Like, hey, here's some bait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And no one's believing us. Ah, you know, and that's what I think teenagers in those days these were the ones that just a few years later are hippies right yeah and they're tuning in you know dropping out and all that stuff and rebelling because the parents weren't listening to them sounds like they didn't believe them yeah well this is you know all these parents fought world war ii and these kids were you know baby boomers and that's just the way the Life culture was. Life was perfect. And not really, I it guess. It was easy. It, it was easy except for the blob came into our little town here, Shave. Yes. Kefa Lucky Strike. You know. <laughs> Did they have smoking in this movie? No, they didn't, which I was actually kind of surprised. I was waiting for it. Yeah, you would have thought the cops were at least smoking. <laughs> Everybody smokes in these movies. No. Yeah, usually the doctors are smoking, too. Right? Yeah, I know. Well... Would you recommend this movie? No, probably not. I wouldn't either. I mean, if you want to check out Steve McQueen at 26 and in his prime, you know, I guess. You know, but, uh, I mean, the 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 meteor part where they show visual, the, I mean, it's so dated. Well, like, yeah, but that was good. because I guess it was good. I mean, I, the part that's that would be recommended is if you're a movie buff and you're, you yeah. know, this was a, a classic. This is a cla- no, this is a classic movie. It's a yeah. cult classic as well. Yeah. But what makes it a cult classic? Is it the terrible writing? Is it the cheesiness? Pretty much you the know, cheesiness. With the pants all the way up to the belly button and above. You know, it's just like. <laughs> really? Yeah, some of them were just like, oh gosh, <laughs> just take. I don't know, why am I watching this? But. Because I forced you, you this forced time. forced me to watch this movie. Yeah, usually he's forcing me to watch Yeah, the so. Yeah. Either or, I mean, it had its little entertaining, but it's just at the, the ending is the absolute worst. Well, they do have a, a blob, too. We won't be doing that, no. I don't think. Probably will, just for our curiosity purposes, maybe next year. But, you know, it's just one of those things where, I mean, if you want to watch it, go ahead, but don't expect anything, anything good. Well, actually, we kind of <laughs> told you the whole movie, so we now actually, you don't have we to. We actually did tell you the whole movie, because that's pretty much the whole movie. Anyways, scale of one to five, I give this a one star at best. I mean, 
it was kind of cool to see Steve McQueen in his youth, but outside of that, just it was cheap. Well, it was cheesy, but even cheesy then. But you know, it is what it is. Okay. Alrighty. Well, thanks again, guys, for listening. We do appreciate the feedback. Hit us up again. And on on that note, good night, Holly. Good night, Carl.